G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. Really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast, and we don't ask for much in return, but we're incredibly grateful if you could pop double podcast or ACAST and leave us a review. Obviously, a five-star review would be great. You can leave uh, lower-star reviews to other, other podcasts, but really appreciate a couple of minutes of your time um, to leave us a review. So joining Brian and myself in this in this new year in the in the same studio, mind you, not not a new studio uh, yet, is uh, is Dr. Stephen Decker, one of our uh, senior lecturers here in neurology and neurosurgery at the RVC. Thank you, Stephen, for for joining us. It's a pleasure. And uh, and today we thought we'd uh, uh, discuss about brachycephalics and in particular the, the spinal abnormalities and problems that that, that they have, which is seem to be uh, a uh, increasing. Um, I suppose, like issue or awareness that we have with a with a breed that's continuing to gain in popularity. So, so as far as everyone's sort of aware, and we've we've actually spoken to uh, um, uh, Linda Rutherford about the brachycephalics and their respiratory problems, and and uh, we spoke about Rowena and the research that she's doing in, in, in brachycephalics as as well. But uh, so, so how did you get interested in looking at the uh, the skeletal abnormalities of brachycephalics, and and why uh, did, is the neurology service and you as a neurologist interested in? in that? Um, it's it's quite quite interesting, and I think it went all. Uh, very quick uh, because when I moved from from Belgium here to to, to England, scrutal brachycephalics like the French bulldog, the pup, they are not that popular. But especially in the French bulldog, we have seen in the most recent years a dramatic, dramatic surge in their popularity. I think they're now the second most popular breed in in the UK. And, and also on the neurology service, we we see. It's probably the most presented breed now that we see for acute spinal problems, French bulldogs. And as you might or might not know, is that a few years ago we started a brachycephalic clinic here at, at the RVC. And also there was the idea that all teams or multiple teams tried to see if we could do any clinical research. So over the last, I think, two years, we published quite a lot of papers on brachycephalic-related spinal problems, especially the uh, vertebral malformations and i think it's quite interesting because we we do see some very specific breed related problems um in french bulldogs we indeed see that probably 95 percent of healthy french bulldogs they have vertebral malformations which in itself almost never clinical relevant but we do see that french bulldogs that have an abnormal vertebral curvature because of these vertebral malformations have an increased risk for intervertebral disc extrusion. So it's not that innocent. Um, but we see specifically that if it becomes a problem, these vertebral malformations, that it's the pucks. That pucks have a different anatomy, different characteristics of these vertebral malformations. Um, and that these pucks are really predisposed for clinical disease. And Although we don't make often a diagnosis of spinal problems because of vertebral malformations, when it happens, it's very challenging. Because we also published a paper, uh, it was a, a relatively small paper, but it was about the medical management. And quite surprisingly, none of the dogs, including us, did not study it well on medical management. We had like 0% success. But then if you look at the alternatives, which is surgery, it's really very, very challenging because it's uh, 
involves uh, placing screws, pins or other implants in, in vertebrae, already very small dogs. Um, it's an area, the thoracic vertebral column, where you don't have a lot of um, room for error because um, it, it's technically quite complicated. These dogs are very young and by definition they have an abnormal anatomy. So it's again an area of, of quite intense research how to treat these dogs because it's one of the most challenging conditions to treat and we see it more in recent years. So when uh, <clears throat> you got involved in the brachycephalic uh, clinics and having a look, I suppose, at the, the CTs that are being performed at those for their upper airways and, and lower airways and looking at their, their vertebral columns, I suppose the, these were dogs that didn't present with any spinal pain or, yeah. or obvious gait abnormalities that, that were recognised. And so is, is that part of the difficulty that actually the normal in adverted commas is actually abnormal and so mm. when they have so to so the dogs that present um with uh, spinal issues are they more abnormal than than, than normal? It's, it's a very good question and um it's very difficult to answer especially because we it what is very interesting is that when you scan um 100 healthy uh, French Bulldogs, 100 healthy Perks, 100 uh, healthy English Bulldogs, that almost all these English and French Bulldogs are abnormal. Like 90% of those breeds has vertebral malformations. Um, while in Perks, it's only 20%. It's 17.6% to be, to be specific. But we do see um, that if a vertebral malformation occurs in a Perk, it's much more likely to result in clinical signs. And also a study that we're finishing now, we see that a hemivertebra, a vertebral malformation in a puck, is one of the most, is probably the strongest risk factor to develop, to result in clinical signs being a puck. Um, while we don't see that often in, in um, French and English bulldogs. So one of these questions was, if it's so common in clinically normal, neurologically normal French and English books, should we worry? Is, is it indeed something that we should con be concerned about? So that's why in, in some other studies, because of course we see a lot of French, especially French bulldogs as in neurology, um, we indeed did a study where we showed that French bulldogs with spinal curvature abnormalities because of these vertebral malformations, that they have differences in gait. So it definitely changes a little bit their biomechanics. And of course, if something changes your biomechanics, you can say, oh, maybe then you have accelerated degenerative problems. So that's why in a second study, you also could see that these French bulldogs with these vertebral malformation curvature abnormalities, that they have twice the odds to develop uh, to develop acute thoracolumbar intervertebral disc disease. So it's not that innocent because it increases the risk for these dogs to have other spinal problems. And I think one of the um, areas that we want to focus on now in the future is to see that if we need change of the biomechanics, it sh in, in, in lay terms, we see that these dogs, they shift more of their body weight to the thoracic limbs instead of the pelvic limbs, is that maybe it also predisposes these dogs for other problems like like orthopedic disease. Because also in, in just some some small communication with my my orthopedic colleagues, they also see quite specific abnormalities occurring in in French bulldogs. So that will be kind of the future to see if if there are other problems related to these uh, spinal problems. And so, do you, do you think a lot of this is is uh, genetic in 
the the breeds that we see in the UK or, or in correspondence with other colleagues in, in Europe or North America or Australasia? Do, do you find it's similar? It's very difficult to say um, because, because I don't think it's the question is that easy to answer, especially because the problem is so common. Like, like for example, in, in French, it's like 94% has a hemivertebra. So it's almost impossible to find clinically unaffected ones. But the only personal feeling that I have is when I worked in Belgium till 2010, it was a problem. We would see a lot of uh, French bulldogs in our, in our hospital. They looked very kind of abnormally from a morphological point of view. And then when I came to England, I never experienced this as a problem. Also, when I would see a French bulldog, they looked relatively healthy. And it's really in the last two, three years that we see that there's this really peak of uh, admissions in, in the hospital. And now we see almost on a daily basis uh, French bulldogs with acute cervical and thoracolumbar disease disease. And it's very, when we go, because also in the neurology specialist community, it gets now a lot of attention. And we see now that also, in, in for example, in the States, in Italy, there's a lot of the same feeling that they see much more of these spinal problems, clinically relevant spinal problems in these what we would call screw-tailed brachycephalic breeds, which are then the Frenchies, the English Bulldogs and the Pugs. And so though it's only a, a feeling you think, <clears throat> but partly we're seeing a lot more French Bulldogs in yeah, general, but definitely. French Bulldogs yeah. are now almost the poster child for neurologists compared yeah. to, to Daxies that have historically been the, the concern for individuals. No, it, it's, it's exactly what we feel. We've, we sometimes say that we feel that in, in the neurology clinic, the Frenchies have replaced the Daxons. Uh, it's, and of course, it's also difficult to draw firm conclusions because the French, French Bulldogs are now the second most popular breed in the UK. We also see that Pucks are the fourth most popular breeds and English Bulldogs the sixth most popular breed. So it's it's definitely possible a reflection of their um, of their popularity, but on the other hand, we don't see a lot of English bulldogs in our neurology clinics. So we we really feel that there, that there is a problem with the breed where French bulldogs are predisposed for acute spinal disease, while we see very breed-related complex vertebral malformations in pugs while we don't see a lot of uh, English bulldogs with spinal problems at this moment. So do you, do you think so screening uh, French bulldogs has any benefit then? So compared to, say, pugs, if they, if they actually have an abnormality, mm. they're probably going to be clinically affected. If, if Frenchies don't, then there's nothing you can do before they have have a problem it's very it's a very good question and um it's very very difficult because that's the, like the study that we have just finished was to compare the ct studies of dogs with hemivertebra but no clinical signs and the ct studies of dogs with hemivertebra that develop clinical signs of <coughs> of chronic spinal disease and we see some differences um, and, and like I said, the, the, the big risk factor are pucks. So maybe in pucks, it's a better idea to screening methods than in other breeds. Um, also because in pucks, we see that 80% of them don't have any vertebral abnormality. Um, but then other risk factors is, for example, the curvature of the spine, which is very difficult to screen for because it's something progressive. It's possible that a, that a dog will have a normal curvature of the vertebral column when they are six months old 
but then when they're two years old, it has developed in, in a very big angle. Um, also something interesting that we saw, because in Scandinavia, I know there are breeding programs and screening programs, like radiographic screening programs, and there they assess the grade of severity based on the number of hemivertebra that you see. For example, a French bulldog with eight hemivertebra is for them more severely affected than one with four hemivertebra. And in our study, we see the opposite is that a lower number of hemivertebra is more likely associated with clinical signs. And that's also something that we typically see, that we sometimes see. It's not abnormal for us to see a CT study of an English or French bulldog that has maybe eight or nine hemivertebra, but they don't have any neurological signs. And then when we see the CT study of a puck with only two hemivertebra, that they develop with quite dramatic clinical signs. And often... The risk factor is really if those hemivertebrae will result in in a curvature abnormality such as kyphosis. And, and do the number of uh, hemivertebrae have any link to, to gait abnormalities? Has, has that been looked at? Um, it's not been looked at. And also the um, the effect on hemivertebrae on gait abnormalities is also not looked at because it's very difficult because almost all dogs have it. Um, it's more... Uh, a kyphosis, so an abnormal dose of ventral curvature, because it's also something that we see in one out of three uh, neurologically normal French bulldogs, that they have kyphosis without any associated neurological signs. And it's also, I think with all these studies, it's very difficult to say if there's a direct link between the severity of the malformation and then the gait abnormality. So where do you think the research should go and, and, and what are you interested in, in looking at in the, in the future? <clears throat> it's, I think we, we did already something. It's one to, of course, see that which breed is a problem breed. And, and like I said, we identified two groups, the acute spinal problems in the French bulldogs and the chronic in the pucks. And we identified that medical management of these problems is probably not successful because we have really astonishing 0% success. Um, surgical management is definitely something that we have to explore because there's a lot of discussion because it's technically very challenging. There can be fatal complications. That's definitely something to explore. And I think screening would be interesting, because, but I really have the feeling it will be very, very challenging to develop a reliable screening method for these types of problems. Um, on the other hand, something that I think would be now the future is to look more at the global picture of these dogs because I looked at the spine, my colleagues looked at the face, then some other colleagues look at the legs. Is What I think would be very interesting to see, to try to answer the question is, why are these dogs abnormal? Is it, and, and, and the two things that stand out is the face and maybe the face is associated with all these breed abnormalities but also something interesting to consider is the tail is um, maybe the selection for this curly short tail because by definition that's a vertebral malformation is associated with an abnormal vertebral column and maybe that's also associated with orthopedic injuries so i think the i think the next chapter will probably be looking at other body parts and see if they are associated with spinal problems and to try to identify which kind of anatomical characteristic is it associated to, is it all kind of associated with selecting for these abnormal tails or is it 
associated with selection for these flat faces or is it something completely different because that could maybe be more interesting for example if if french bulldog owners know that selecting for a longer tail might be associated with less spinal and orthopedic problems that might maybe be more of, of a reasonable or a realistic goal than, than for example radiographic screening methods you said that uh, say medical therapy is not necessarily associated with any benefit and surgery has a problem so what what types of surgery are people doing and mm. and is it because of the lack of numbers that we're unsure it's, yet about it's, what's it's definitely definitely a lack of numbers because it's, it's just, like I said, the surgery is very challenging. That's why we're very interested in medical management. Because I, re although I like surgery, I really believe, especially for these difficult, complex problems, we should only treat cases that don't do well in medical management. And of course, also with medical management, it only includes cases that are referred to university hospitals. So there might be already a reason why they are referred. Maybe there's kind of a, a kind of a selection bias that we only see severely affected cases but still it's not a number that we see in other disorders in other complex disorders we don't see a number of zero typically it goes around a number of 50 percent success with medication so it's very logical then to think oh surgery is the option um, and there we see two big kind of groups one is um, going through the thorax which is of course especially for a neurosurgeon, very challenging, and approach them through the torques, which, like, like from a ventral approach, but then it's very clear there are very important blood vessels that you don't want to damage. Um, and if you damage something, that can be fatal. And then the other approach um, would be dorsal, which is, again, very challenging um, because it's a very extensive approach. All these vertebrae are abnormal. So there's this... It's already challenging in a normal dog, but in these breeds even more. So that's why I think the approach that we do now is a dorsal approach. And we work together with uh, Bill Oxley, who uh, started a company in 3D printing, so that based on the CT scan of these patients, we print out um, 3D printed drill guides that are very specific for those vertebrae. And the cases that we have done, have treated, technically we are extremely satisfied these these pins and screws are placed like almost 100% accurate to the millimeter with those 3D printed drill guides. Uh, the outcome, we have some mixed results so far. So I think we, also there, there is the big question which dogs will benefit from surgery and which will um, not be surgical candidates anymore. Because of course, one thing is also that we discuss about we do this, we do that, but it's it's very expensive. Um, it's thousands and thousands of pounds. So again, it's an indication that it's not a innocent problem. It must be uh, in incredibly complex if you're 3D printing for, for these uh, individual patients. And, and I suppose quite um, uh, upsetting if you're doing the best job you can and still not having a, yeah. a clinical improvement in, in those patients. So, so do, you, do you think that there's more going on in, in those ones that don't do well? It's, it's of course, it's getting numbers. We don't have huge numbers. Yeah. What we feel a little bit, and also when we discuss it with, with Dr. Bill Oxley, who has a bit more experience because he works with multiple centers, is when we do the typical case, 
uh, like for example an an 11 months old puck with a typical malformation there we have seen quite good results but the cases where we don't have good results um, were one was an atypical breed it was a rottweiler so maybe weights and size um, and the other one was, was quite an old older dog it was a pug who uh, was already six years old so one of the big questions is that there's a lot of research on about acute spinal cord injury we can predict very well what happens in acute spinal injury like when we see an acutely paralyzed dachshund we can predict very well and can have very good discussions with the owners this is what we expect is going to happen but something where there is a really a lack of research also because you can't really mimic it in in laboratory animals is chronic spinal cord injury and one of the questions that nobody knows in both veterinary and human medicine is what happens with the chronically compressed spinal cord when you perform surgery? And it's always a little bit fingers crossed because sometimes we see that these dogs do well. Sometimes we see that they are much worse after surgery and then they start improving again. So they have a good long-term outcome. But it can also happen that we do the surgery. It's technically we're really satisfied. And then these dogs are much worse after surgery and they don't improve anymore. And it's a big question that we don't know exactly why this happens. Do you know of, of colleagues uh, around the world that are, are doing anything different or having either more success or, or, mm. or even conversely not even operating on these animals, like n n you know, not offering that mm. as an option because of... This? I think the, the, um, it's very interesting because we had a big discussion in the, in the States uh, at the American Neurology Conference in June. Uh, one of the colleagues that has most experience in this problem, uh, he started doing surgery in 2007 already. Um, he has quite good results with the ventral approach. I also know colleagues, one colleague in England who does this ventral approach to the thorax. And then it's kind of a teamwork where soft tissue surgeon does the uh, ventral approach to the thorax, dissects those blood vessels away, and then the neurosurgeon does the surgery on the vertebrae. They also claim that they have quite good success. Both of them, they have lost dogs during the surgery because, of course, you have already breeds that are a little bit impaired on breeding. And then you do quite invasive thoracic surgery. Um, and also we, we ha are in contact with teams that do something very similar as that we do. And you also have quite good uh, re results. So... And ourselves, we were always um, a little bit reluctant to take these dogs to surgery because it was so challenging, because it was so technically demanding, because we could not predict to the owners the outcome after the surgery. It was more after the study that we published on medical management that we were completely not expecting all of the dogs in that study deteriorated. And none of these dogs, when we contacted them again, could walk. So they all progressed to, to paralysis that we feel now that if we don't do surgery, they will unfortunately deteriorate. So if we, even if, if it's uncertain, if we cannot give guarantees with surgery, it probably um, is associated with better success than medical management. But still, it's a very difficult decision because these owners, they have often a young puppy and they have to make a decision about probably seven, eight thousand pounds 
to, with, to, with a question mark. With, with a question mark, if if even with surgery they will make a good outcome. And it's bit, we're, we're too far away from developing um, maybe not necessarily safer techniques, but te- techniques that have a lower morbidity, such as would minimally invasive techniques of this surgery be something that could happen or just because the exposure that you need that that's never going to happen? I think in, in human medicine, there's a big thing in um, minimally invasive neurosurgery. Also, even in, in human standard to what is quite routine is something that really mimics endoscopic brain surgeries. That's definitely something that veterinary medicine can progress to. There are also already some uh, research papers that explore this route for doing minimal invasive uh, neurosurgery. I think the big reason why these dogs have such an unpredictable outcome is not the nature of the surgery, but the nature of the disease. Um, and, and we, we, we have it quite often that we do a surgery and we're technically very happy, um, but then these dogs the next day are much worse. Like I say, 90% of the time they still recover and they bounce back, um, but there is still this proportion of dogs that is much worse after surgery and doesn't improve. And, and one of the discussions that we have on one of the trains of thoughts is maybe because these dogs have such an abnormal vertebral column, is that you do the surgery that you cause anyway some type of instability with the approach taking away the muscles it, it's very and, and also of course the, the the chronically compressed spinal cord might be quite sensitive to any change that you cause during during surgery so i suppose a lot of the challenge is then what is what is normal and then mm-hmm. the the changes that you're going to make to that you can't as you said you can't predict and i, I imagine there's not a uh, a sim enough of a similarity in their abnormalities to say well if they have this uh, vertebral column malformations then they'll do this and if they no. have that they'll do that it's very challenging anyway when we see these dogs when they are relatively mildly affected we still want to see how they progress without surgery um but but there are not enough numbers. And also, even if there are enough numbers, one vertebral malformation is not the other vertebral malformation. Uh, for example, doing, like like we discussed a few minutes, probably doing this type of surgery in, in a six-year-old puck is not the same as in an 11-month-old puck. It's not the same as doing it in a 12-month-old Rottweiler. So you will always come across atypical cases, and then is a question, what is a typical case? Which is again quite quite challenging. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I, d- I didn't realise that uh, it was um, so much of a problem. I actually didn't realise that uh, that Frenchies have uh, surpassed axes as um, presenting with uh, acute spinal cord injuries. So. Yeah, and I think what is also quite interesting on on Frenchies is that with Daxies, I think everybody also so I think all the the vets that listen to this podcast will know they typically present with thoracolumbidus disease, like with, with paralysis. And what is very unique with Frenchies is that they are predisposed for both, is that they are one of the most common breeds to present for cervical disc disease, but also for thoracolumbidus disease. Um, so that's probably another reason why they present so much to neurology now. And also we have the feeling that, because the most common complica- long-term complication that we see when we do spinal surgery for an acute disc disease is that, for example, when we do surgery at T13L1, is that 
down the line, probably a year later, it happens again, but then another disc, for example, L2, L3. And we know that it, compared to other breeds, Dachshunds are predisposed, it's like 20%. But we have the feeling that we see this phenomenon also coming, occurring quite commonly in French Bulldogs. And we're doing now some like retrospective study just to see when we if we do spinal surgery in a French bulldog for acute spinal disease, often they have a very good response to surgery, is in how many of these dogs do we see clinical signs coming back. And the preliminary results are quite depressing. Unfortunately, we see quite a high number of French bulldogs that we see multiple times with episodes of acute spinal disease. And it's very... Um, in a way, it's very frustrating because all these clients that we see, they, of course, they they love their dog, but then when we tell them, oh, you have a French bulldog, they are so prone for acute spinal disease, they didn't know. Yeah. While we feel that Dachshund owners, they know that their dog is quite prone for spinal disease, but I have the feeling, also when we, for example, see these pucks and we discuss with these owners, oh, they are they are really predisposed for this chronic, really, because it's not just hemivertebrae and pucks, it's also other conditions like more complicated issues like cardiac articular process dysplasia of the vertebral column, spinal diverticuline pucks. When we discuss that with these clients, oh, it's a puck, they're really prone for these chronic, complicated spinal problems. Often they, they, they have no clue. They're, there's not really an awareness in the public that these breeds are prone for spinal disease i suppose it's one of those things that that uh, i imagine a lot of people can see the respiratory signs because mm. they're normally quite apparent or obvious i even saw a, a brachycephalic breathing quite heavily on a mm. five degree day as we have uh, today outside no, the, definitely, yeah. the hospital but um but yeah probably people don't associate them to have other other issues as as well which is uh uh, quite is in equally is uh, upsetting that they can have these um, horrendous sort of conditions. Yes. Do you think we've uh, missed uh, anything in particular about the uh, uh, the problems with um, brachycephalics and their vertebral columns? No, of course it's 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 a very hot topic, mm -hmm. so we can continue discussing for for hours, everything in depth. But I think that's the I think the main conclusion that we start to get that it's really a problem. And that we see kind of a disparity between chronic complex problems in bucks and acute spinal problems in, in French bulldogs. And I hope that with the, few, the research that we're going to do, that we hope that we can prevent more or that we can identify them sooner or that we can develop um, treatment methods with a bigger guarantee of, of success. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time it's today, pleasure. Stephen, and uh, we'll wrap it up there. And uh, many thanks for uh, for your time for for listening to this. So uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device, and that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. If you could leave us a five-star review, that would be great, and we'll we'll play some of the uh, papers that uh, Stephen was referring to in, in the show notes or, or links to those. So if you just type in RVC Clinical Podcast into your search engine of choice, it should be top of the tree. If you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch you can either email dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or tweet at dombarfield uh, until next time and happy new year bye bye